Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Amazing. Oh, it's a miracle. This thing finally worked on my actual computer. So um, I guess we can get started with the podcast for today. Um, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, main topic for today. Um, oh, wait a minute. Don't forget that important part of our new intro oh yeah that's important so i'd first like to start off with our disclaimer which we'll be adding to our other episodes but i just want to note that the hosts of this show are not financial advisors and nothing on this show is meant to be taken as financial advice the ideas expressed on this show should not be regarded as objective information and nothing on this show is meant as a recommendation to buy or sell securities with that said Let's get started. Okay, so let's talk about this exciting, fascinating topic today. You know, we're making all this money with all this inflation going up, you know? Well, some people are, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Those bastards. (laughs) And tell me why CNBC does not have on their website a tab for inflation at this point. You know, I see markets, business, investing, tech. Where the fuck is the inflation tab? (laughs) I don't know, but that's pretty much the the buzz of the town right now. And I was actually looking at a recent article on Barron's where they were saying that this is the highest uptick in year-of-year inflation. The inflation rate has jumped to about 9.7%, which is the highest in the history of the index. So we're seeing some interesting times right now with relation to inflation and it's been the highest it's been since 1982 so right yeah and that's you know and we're gonna even talk about if we're if i mean if we i don't know if we have it in today's notes but we may even touch on you know those early 80s late 70s days of inflation which was a crazy time you know so to think that the last time inflation was this crazy was the late 70s or early 80s i mean that was a pretty horrible time for inflation so (laughs) i don't think that's a good sign yeah so obviously with the supply chain shortage you know it's been it's been getting kind of hectic and some some interesting things that i wanted to actually bring up about that you know we all talk about the the supply chain shortage and you know how it really started with COVID. I think obviously it did start with COVID with the Fed and the stimulus. They're basically pumping all this all this money into the market. But I mean, we've had historically low interest rates. And I think that's really important that folks need to keep in mind. I mean, the environment 
before this high inflation was it was it was brewing even before covid uh, occurred you know we had historically low interest interest rates we had and then right as covid happened when all this stimulus was being pumped into the economy there's a lot of easy money going in to the regular everyday consumer so what are they going to do they're going to just continue to buy more goods and I was listening to this episode of We Study Billionaires, where pretty much that that's what caused this supply chain shortage, where we just don't have the goods to meet the demand. And that obviously drove up prices. But one interesting thing I actually heard today on, I think it was Apple News, where they were talking about how, I don't know if you've been into the grocery stores recently, Nick, but you'll see... I don't know. Have you seen kind of lower supplies and like meat or? Oh, yeah. So, well, my girlfriend actually uh, showed me a picture that her friend sent her of, of her local Trader Joe's. And I'm telling you, when I say, and I haven't experienced this where I live, but when I say wall to wall, one of the areas where they pack meat was like empty. I mean, yeah. it blew my mind. I, you know, it, it reminded me of the early days of COVID when people were really just buying up, buying out the grocery stores. But um, I guess in this case, maybe it's more of a strict supply issue, just not getting the the product. Well, well, yeah, that in addition to what I actually heard is that, you know, as this inflation is starting to occur, and maybe this is actually a good sign. I don't know, who knows, but they actually stated that the reasoning for some of you know the shortages in the meat supply is people are not going out to eat as often nowadays because they're trying to save um, as the prices of goods are going up they're actually you know cooking more so they're not actually going out to out to dine as much so i don't know if that could also be causing some of this which actually makes me think if that is occurring then maybe people are kind of winding down and, and spending so much which maybe could hopefully decrease some of the demand in the supply chain but who knows i'm not a i'm not a economic uh analyst so i don't really know but that's just kind of my best opinion i guess i mean it seems reasonable seems like it definitely to me it seems like that could be that could be the case i mean i think what's interesting and we're going to jump into this soon and when we get to the financial ideas segment is the idea that Although there is all this inflation, and yes, in some ways it's scary, it doesn't necessarily mean there won't be opportunity in the stock market. And that's that's what I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, same here. And I think I think there's some interesting sectors that people can start looking into where they can, you know, kind of capitalize on this high inflationary period. There's sectors such as banks. Um, you know, as higher inflation goes up, you know, the Fed right now, we've, we've been hearing a lot about um, raising interest rates to kind of stoke the flames of inflation. And actually, Jerome Powell, you know, like a few days ago, basically kind of made sure on his promise of making sure that they'll tame the inflation by by hiking up interest rates. And I heard as at probably as soon as March um, that they'll be doing that. So I guess we'll we'll see what, what happens. But as interest rates go up, obviously, you know, banks might be um, a good idea to start, you know, investing in. 
Bank of America, but not just like these large national banks. Nick, you were saying something about regional banks might be a good idea to start looking into, right? Yes. I was reading, um, can't, can't remember the article, but it was basically making the point that uh, regional banks sometimes can take better advantage of the interest rate increases than larger banks. And I wish I knew more or could speak more on that. But all I know is, you know, it, for the listeners, it, it might be worthwhile going out and, and looking that up for yourself if you're interested in trying to take advantage of the interest rate increases is, you know, how, how can regional banks help help my portfolio and maybe find uh, regional banks to invest in. Banks are a very, I would say, atypical stock or, or not stock, sector to analyze. And so if you're like a fundamental analyst, you like to go into the nitty gritty details of a company to figure out what how to invest in them. I will say just to preface this that, you know, banks are kind of hard to analyze. I remember in college when I studied finance and you were in a class and and they were discussing fundamental analysis, looking at balance sheets and cash flow statements of companies to, you know, figure out, get get a good sense of how they operate. The one sector we would never touch was banks because just at a very basic level, the way banks operate is a different business model than most other sectors. So I wish I knew how to analyze uh, regional banks as far as, you know, which ones to invest in. But I just know in general, it, it's definitely an area worth looking at for the coming year and the, and the future if, if this rising interest rate environment is here to stay. Yeah. I mean, there's not just banks, but, you know, there are some other sectors that you might want to look into. I know consumer goods is another huge sector that could potentially benefit from higher inflation. You have, uh, Nick, you already mentioned on our a, a prior podcast episode, you know, no, more defensive stocks like a Kroger, companies that actually own goods. And as those goods increase in price, it, it's probably... They're, they'll probably benefit from this. Like I'm looking at uh, Home Depot, um, Costco. Um, these are some companies people should be looking out for. I actually looked up some, I did some analysis. I was looking at PE ratios. That's price to earnings ratio. It basically tells you as a, a retail investor, kind of how much a company is kind of worth. Um, and basically I saw some interesting things. I might, I would, if, if you're comparing two companies like a Walmart or a Target, I'd actually look at Walmart more because Walmart, it hasn't been kind of um, growing or it, its stock hasn't been going up as, as quick as Target. Um, it has a lower PE ratio. Actually is kind of messed up, but um, you know, these uh, test kits for COVID, they've actually been like doubling the prices of these. Did you know this? Sounds like good business to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do I yeah. get in on this uh, racket? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you want to, if, if you as a listener in this podcast want to start doing some research, you keep on hearing about value stocks. So finding companies that have low PE ratios, Maybe they're in the consumer goods or like, a, like we already mentioned, banking. Another sector you might want to look in is in, into is energy. I don't know. Have you, have you done any research into any, any energy companies, Nick? Not specific companies, but you know what I'm going to talk about in my financial ideas segment is going to touch on energy. So, okay. Well, um, 
Yeah, so I don't I don't necessarily know if I have more to kind of get into, but um, maybe I think this might be a good segue into our financial ideas segment. Yeah, so before I jump in, uh, you know, today with the financial ideas, I'm going to talk about going to talk about energy and how it can benefit from inflation. I'm going to talk about small cap stocks a little bit. I'm going to talk about commodities in general, which, you know, different aspects of energy are included in commodities, right? Like coal or oil, for example, are energy commodities. I'm going to talk a little bit about the relationship between higher interest rates and higher equity multiples. But first, I want to take this to a more entertaining side of things. So before we started this podcast, John, you know, I was looking up, trying to find something funny I could bring into this podcast regarding inflation. And I remembered reading this book, The Buy Side, by this guy named Turney Duff. You know, sounds like a fucking fake name if you ask me. But anyway, <laughs> so this guy writes this book called The Buy Side. And then real quick for listeners, if you don't know what The Buy Side is, on Wall Street, when you get to like the hedge fund level, you've got the hedge funds. They are what's called the buy side. And they're called that because they are out there with their pool of money and they are buying stocks or securities they are buying things to invest with whatever strategy they use. Okay. And then there's the sell side, right? The sell side would be the people who are literally calling up the buy side, the hedge funds and pitching them ideas or stocks or different securities to try to get the buy side, the hedge funds to buy those assets. Right. And then when they do buy the assets, the guy on the sell side who sold them those assets gets like some sort of commission. And so you know, it's kind of like, you know, any other business, you know, the person who's buying something, the consumer, the customer, you know, they're, they usually have a lot more power than, you know, the person who's trying to actually sell the item. So the old joke on Wall Street is, uh, you know, what's the difference between the buy side and the sell side? Do you know, John? I do not know. You, you've stumped me. So uh, <laughs> the sell side has to hang up the phone before saying fuck you, whereas the buy side can say fuck you and then hang up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) But uh, to get back into my uh, story or whatever it's called. uh, Yeah, so how Kim Kardashian helped ex-billionaire Raj Rajaratnam out of jail is the title of the article. And this is, by the way, two years old. So I know this is old news, but it just blew my mind because, again, uh, I'm jumping all around, but this guy, Turney Duff, writes this book. It's called The Buy Side. And in the book, he talks about working for a hedge fund called Galleon Group. And Galleon Group was run by this guy by the name of Raj Rajaratnam. And he was one of the poster children after the 2008 financial crisis for insider trading. So he got caught basically calling, you know, calling up, talking to friends And there were wiretaps on this guy and he was getting insider information and trading on it. So the SEC tried to throw this guy in jail for 11 years. Anyway, so I'm reading this article and it's, you know, it's talking about how, you know, Kim Kardashian, I don't know if anybody out there is aware that this girl was out there trying to like fight for, you know, non-criminal offenders to be released from prison for non-criminal offenses. And the main piece of legislation that came out as a result of, her being like friends with Trump and Congress pushing it through or the House and Senate. I mean, whatever. 
it's called the 2018 First Step Act. Okay. It was signed into law back in 2018 and it grants nonviolent criminal offenders and specifically those who are over the age of 60 early release if they're either over 60 or they have a terminal illness. And so this guy, Raj Rajaratnam, who, by the way, is a billionaire, was or is a billionaire. If not, I'm sure he's still got millions. Um, in 2019, he was set free early, two years early, because he was 62 years old and apparently had advanced diabetes. <laughs> so this guy who was supposed to be in jail for 11 years, you know, walked out in nine, which is still a long time to serve. But I just thought it was funny that, you know, Kim Kardashian in some obscure way helped this uh, ex-billionaire hedge fund manager get out of jail early. Um, Good for you, Kim. Yeah. You know, <laughs> really out there helping helping the little guy. So. <laughs> helping the billionaires. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So the billionaire criminals. <laughs> so the next time, so the next time your uber uh, sensitive girlfriend is watching uh, the Kardashians, you can let her know that she's helping some uh, screwed up billionaire hedge fund guy get out of jail free uh, <laughs> by supporting the show. Anyway, so jumping into real topics that actually matter, there was an article in Barron's. I think last issue called after a rip roaring year, these, these stocks could be new winners. And there was a person in it uh, from bank of America securities named uh, Savita Sub Subramanian. And she was talking about actually how energy has the highest free cash flow yield um, of any sector, which is good, which is a good factor during fed rate hiking cycles. And it has the highest inflation beta of all sectors. So inflation beta measures the change in inflation from one period to the next against the return from asset classes over the same period. So having the highest inflation beta means that the energy sector, it, it, it not only does it keep up with inflation, its returns are better than the rates that inflation is increasing by so it's probably one of the best sectors to be in during an, an inflation cycle and then as well she they talk about in this article how small cap stocks have benefited more than mid to large cats cap stocks from inflation or, or could could benefit from inflation but it's important that you be choosy about which small cap stocks you're invested in and again small cap stocks are just stocks with a smaller market capitalization they're you know they might be worth um, I think it's like a hundred million, maybe it's 200 million, whereas like a very like mega cap stock is a hundred billion, you know? So the Russell 2000 actually last year when inflation was already an issue, the Russell 2000 index rose about 15%, whereas the iShares core S&P small cap ETF, which has the ticker IJR was up 27%. Now that last one, the IJR ticker, that that ETF is it's tougher for companies to get into that index because they must have been profitable for a year or more and meet the minimum liquidity and public float criteria for that index. So I think what this is kind of showing 15% return versus 27% for more choosy 
small cap companies is if you just do a slight bit of filtering in which small cap companies you're looking at, you can severely impact the return you're going to get. And I think my takeaway from this article was we should maybe as listeners and market participants be looking into small cap energy stocks that have high free cash flow. Again, I should have probably came with some ideas of companies, but I will be sure to do that next episode. I, I have some ideas. Oh. Everybody, everybody look at Chesapeake Energy. That's all I got to say. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, John, John for the win, I guess. <laughs> We're Southwest Energy. <laughs> Southwest Energy and Chesapeake. Well, let's let let's all take a look into those. Oh, um, you know, the other thing I was reading about was obviously why it's time to invest in commodities. This was another Barron's article. And the gist of this was really just, you know, commodities are in short supply, obviously because of not only supply chain issues, but I know certain commodities because of different regulations have been in short supply. So energy futures, this was also talk talking about how energy futures have the best correlation with U.S. inflation. But over the long term, agriculture, livestock, and industrial metals are all positively correlated. So basically, I think what I was trying to say there really was, aside from energy, agriculture, livestock, and industrial metals are other segments of commodities that could benefit from inflation. And in fact, the Bloomberg Commodity Indexes monthly year-over-year -year returns have had a 76% correlation with U.S. consumer price index data, according to J.P. Morgan. In other words, commodities are highly correlated to inflation. So if inflation is going up, commodity prices are going up. And you can either indirectly bet on commodities through like ETFs, exchange-traded funds, or you could directly kind of bet on them through futures but i would not recommend using futures for most listeners because um it it's a type of contract that has a lot of volatility if you don't know how to use it properly and you can lose a lot of money very quickly so i would say the safest thing to do is to, to just look for etfs that are correlated with com different commodities one sector that you should not probably be looking into to invest during inflation cycles and during uh, higher interest rate cycles are utility stocks. So utility stocks, uh, one I can think of, I think it's called American Waterworks. I believe that's the stock. Um, Going to look it up real quick. Yes, they are publicly traded. Um, so any company that does, you know, like, like a Pepco, someone, someone that you know, the person who sends your energy bill, basically, you know, those companies that send you your water bill, those you should probably not look into during interest rate hikes, because they have a lot of debt on their books. And they have to pay interest on that debt. And so when interest rates go lower, utility stocks generally do better. But as interest rates go up, they have to pay more interest on that debt. So utility stocks generally get uh, hit pretty hard. So that's just something to keep in mind as well. I don't know if John, if any of this is uh, resonating with you so far or. 
Yeah, I think these, that's a great point that you made. And actually, I want to make a correction. So Southwestern Energy and Chesapeake are actually, I think they're actually mid-cap. But I was looking up this ETF. It's Invesco S&P Small Cap Energy ETF. That might be something you want to look into to get kind of a broad mix into uh, that sector where you can diversify kind of your funds. And it looks like it has had kind of a recent uptick in um, price. So I don't know, you might want to look into it. The, the ticker for that is PSCE. So if you are trying to get a bang for your buck, because it, obviously the energy sector as of late has you know declined, but I think it is starting to pick back up. And as, as Nick was saying, in high inflationary periods, you kind of see these stocks rise. So it might be a, a, a good time to do it. You know, it, it's gotten beat down a lot. I'm looking at that. That's a great, you know what? That's a really interesting ETF you're bringing up, John. So again, the ticker symbol is PSCE. I'm just taking a look at the chart right now. And, you know, it hit it hit a peak in 2014. And I remember 2014 because that was when, you know, before I get too long-winded, basically what happened is, oil prices dropped dramatically. So something like this small cap energy ETF that had a lot of companies in it, I'm assuming that relied on high energy prices, probably got hit hard. So at the you know, but by about mid 2014, it was up to $54 a share. And it got hit all the way down to $11 by 2016. And then by early 2020, it was down to $2.26 a share. And now, since then, it's back up to $7.95. And I definitely think this is something to consider just in terms of there could be a lot of potential upside and some asymmetry as far as risk reward with this. So this is really interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Nick, for, for discussing energy. I'm sorry, I kind of stole your thunder with the commodities a little bit. Oh, but... no, that's fine. <laughs> That, that was great. I mean, I just had one more thing I was really going to hit on, which was basically, let me just run through that real quick. Basically. Yeah. So I read, I went to BlackRock, BlackRock's website, and there was a CFA and portfolio manager by the name of Russ uh, Kosterich on, on their site who wrote this. It's not really a white paper, but it's, it was basically data that was trying to show the, the correlation between higher interest rates and higher equity multiples, which also correlates into higher stock prices. And this guy, what he did is they looked at this data, which was basically comparing treasury inflation protected securities or TIPS, which basically are real rates and compared those to equity multiples. And they typically have a very positive relationship. So they did this regression model and you can see there's definitely a correlation there. Essentially, what it's saying is you should look into certain sectors more than others when investing in a high interest rate environment. So high interest rates, higher inflation doesn't mean just put your money broadly in every single sector. It means take advantage, as we've been talking about so far, of the sectors that benefit, such as banks, industrials. Um, and like semiconductors. And that's another one we haven't quite touched on yet. But you know, there's a lot of great semiconductor companies out there, NVIDIA, Micron, 
take a look at those companies and consider them maybe because this data is showing that if you're in the right sector, you can take advantage of inflation. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Nick. And just another point to that before I kind of get into my little piece of my financial ideas segment. I'm a big advocate of ARC Investments. Um, ARC Investments is run by Kathy Wood. She's a, a head fund manager for ARC Investment. But right now, they're actually, well, for the past year or so, they've been really declining after seeing a huge skyrocket after COVID. You know, as people were were at home more, they were on their computer devices. One of their, their main, I think their top, one of the top five stocks that are in that fund right now is Tesla, Teladoc, Zoom. I can't think of any others, but um, they had really seen a huge rise, but they, they've recently seen a steep decline. And a lot of that, I think, has been due to higher interest rate or a fear of a higher interest rate environment. Um, there's kind of a little bit of a correlation between growth stocks going down in higher inflationary periods because of higher interest rates. You can't, um, get loans as easy, or you can't spend as much money on research and development. And that has been kind of a a reason for a decrease in innovation or, um, maybe a, a decrease in high growth stocks. And to that point, there's actually an ETF. That is, it, it pretty much just shorts ARC. So I want you all to know about this. It's called SARC, uh, the, or the, the ticker is S-A-R-K. It's Tuttle Capital Short Innovation ETF. I am bullish on ARC, so I actually own them in my retirement. But I'm honestly thinking of doing a short-term play. As I said, kind of in our first podcast episode, I'm looking into swing trading. So this is definitely something I'm looking at for like a brokerage account where I think due to the higher inflationary periods, you're going to see a higher growth stocks decline and kind of getting at a strategy that is pretty much shorting those at this time, I think is also a good idea. That's just one ETF I found, but I'm I'm sure there's others that are coming out, others that are coming out that have that same strategy. And, and they've done really well as of late. I mean, in the past six months, guess how much they've grown, Nick? Over over 40%. <laughs> I was just taking a look. That's pretty good, huh? Yeah. Well, so, I, I know ARC was hit pretty hard, so. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. It, it's, it's something to think about, especially as interest rates go up. And I mean, if you are investing in ARC, maybe this is a good hedge against some of the higher interest rates. So just something to consider. But what I really wanted to get at for my piece of the financial ideas segment is I really want to talk about cryptocurrency and the main cryptocurrency that's out there, as most folks that are listening to this know, is Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin was the first crypto that came out. You know, it, it came out in 2009. It was the first digital currency to come out that is completely decentralized. There's a finite amount of Bitcoin that's out there. So, you know, as people are buying more and more of it, it will go up. 
And I'm not a Bitcoin expert, but I do think it's definitely something that's interesting to get into, especially as inflation has risen. You know, I, I first heard about crypto from my friends who were into it back when it was like $300. And I kicked myself all the time for not buying it at that time. And then it went up to, I think, around almost 17000 at, at its peak back in like 2017. Again, I, I bought some and then I sold it because I didn't know about long-term investments, uh, which again, I kicked myself because if I had held on to it, I probably, I probably could have made a good return on that. If any young listeners are listening to this, if you see a unique asset and it's new, I'd say buy it and hold it as long for as long as you can, because you don't know if that is going to continue rising as you know, you've kind of seen this meteoric rise in Bitcoin. Um, yeah. And, and, and fuck our old listeners. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I just thought it was funny that John did a shout out just to the young listeners. So uh, old listeners, we uh, care about you too. And we would like your input. Yeah, no, exactly. Young listeners as well. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure. Again, like, with the young listeners, are you just ignoring the old ones, John? I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure our old listeners are probably like, what the hell is Bitcoin? Uh, so yeah, if, if you, if, if you are an older listener, um, you know, we really want you to buy Bitcoin because we're both buying Bitcoin. And as you buy Bitcoin, our price in Bitcoin will go up. It's, it's kind of like a, a pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah. And who are we kidding? We don't even have listeners. So I don't know who we're talking to. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, it's a great hedge against inflation. And I mean, obviously, that's what our main theme of this, this episode has been is hedges against inflation. As I, I, I was reading this article uh, from this guy, his name is Nick Carter. Um, he's not the, what is it? Isn't that from Backstreet Boys, Nick Carter? I don't know. <laughs> uh, John would know a lot about the Backstreet Boys. So I think he's just playing coy. <laughs> well, I, I, if, if anybody is interested in this guy, his name is Nick Carter, N-I-C-C-A-R. Yeah. He's super dreamy. Right, yeah, he's, John? Su- he's super dreamy. <laughs> um, but he's he has some really great information on um, Bitcoin and kind of he's he's really done his research, I think. He brings up that throughout history, just since 1920, actually, you've had over 55 hyperinflationary events that have taken place. Obviously, these these events have you know caused a lot of economic hardship. They might have even caused, well, they did cause pretty much World War II. I, you always hear about, I don't know if you remember, you know, Nick was probably asleep in history class. I, I think he was asleep, but. Um. Hey, hey, quick side <laughs> note. My history teacher literally had narcolepsy and would turn the lights off when teaching class. So I think I caught the narcolepsy, but go on, John. Shout out to Mr. Doherty. But yeah, I remember Mr. Doherty talking about World War II and how, um, right before that period, I think it was the German Deutschmark. I don't know what currency it was, but yeah. it had risen like almost like a million percent or something like some crazy number. And people were using their money to actually like heat their homes. They were using it as like as Kindle. Um, so, you know, that that shows you just how crazy hyperinflationary periods can be. And obviously because of that, World War II 
started, you know, an extremist group was able to take over the government easily because everybody was poor and they were looking for a way to get out of it. So they said, let's go along with this guy. And that's pretty much how World War II kind of got kicked off. So you have these hyperinflationary periods. But actually, what's interesting is before that time period, before the 20th century, there was only really one hyperinflationary period that took place before this time. And a big reason for that is because there wasn't this centralized economy there. It was pretty much based on a commodity standard in a decentralized economy or a decentralized currency. You don't have as much of a chance for, you know, price manipulation. You don't have these historic inflationary periods as much. Obviously, Bitcoin, it's a very volatile currency at this time. But I, I honestly kind of think it will be a digital replacement of gold. That, that's my opinion. I'm sure there are articles that are written about it. That's actually what this guy, Nick Carter, thinks. Um, he, he definitely sees that Bitcoin has a cor- high correlation with kind of these higher risk um, growth investments, like I, I mentioned ARK earlier. He definitely sees a correlation between some of that. But I don't know, in recent in recent days, ARC has been going down. Obviously, Bitcoin has taken its hits, but I don't know. I, I see Bitcoin as being kind of a hedge or a kind of a safe haven for inflation. And, and he brings up some of these other areas in the world where you're seeing even higher inflation. Obviously, we're, we're experiencing inflation in the U.S., but, you know, in other parts of the world like Turkey, Nigeria, um, you know, Greece back in like 2014, you had like really high inflation. So like your money is like pretty much worth nothing. I was actually listening um, to a podcast earlier where they're saying in Nigeria now, there's a huge increase in kidnappings. And it's, it's insane because like people are like going into schools and they're kidnapping children. And, and the reason why they're doing that is because they're hungry. They don't have money and, and their money is not worth anything. So this is like becoming a, like its own market now, kidnapping. It's not because children taste better than adults. No, it's not because of that. It's just because people are, they, they can't, they're not making anything. So they're doing anything desperate to, to make money. AKA why, like I was just talking about how Germany got into its ordeal back in the late, you know, 20s and early 1930s. Um, You know, extremist ideals can arise as you have a economically destabilized environment. People will do anything when it comes to trying to make a living if they don't have anything. So or if their money's not worth anything. So I think Bitcoin is kind of a little bit of a hope that can at least be a kind of a safe haven or a, a, a way that people can at least put some of their assets into it and they'll see it grow and not have to deal with market manipulation. Or, you know, recently we just had these huge stimuluses go into our economy. Um, and that is pretty much like, tip like a tipping point for why we're having all this inflation you don't really have that as much with a global currency like this because everybody is buying it like you can't it's not just like one country that's that's buying it or one government that is like kind of manipulating the price they can't just like put a bunch of bitcoin into the market 
there's a fixed amount of Bitcoin that's out there and you can't have as much manipulation. Like I said, it's a, it's a global currency. So all these other countries that are experiencing maybe these hyperinflationary periods, you know, their people can actually buy into this and they can actually start to, you know, get a more equal playing field. So I see Bitcoin and obviously there's Bitcoin has its issues. It can result in higher energy usage. I think I read that the overall energy usage of Bitcoin mining was like the entire, it, it amounted to the entire energy uses of like a Denmark or an Iceland or something like that. But obviously paper currency or any other currency, they probably take up a lot of energy to create that. Um, and, you know, people like you were just talking about just energy overall. I think that as we become a more, you know, efficient society, energy efficient society, I think some of these challenges will eventually be reduced. I'm not a Bitcoin expert, so I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I, I actually read that some other forms of energy that were just going to be wasted or uh, not used, um, they're actually like hooking their, you know, generators up to, to actually mine Bitcoin from these kind of more unused energy sources. I'd have to do my research on it, but I think that, I think that there are ways that we can begin to incorporate digital currency more into our lives. I think it can really be a way in which people that have not made as much in the, in the past can actually rise up in society. I, I think it's a good way to hedge against inflation. So that's pretty much all I had. I will post the link to the We Study Billionaires podcast with Nick Carter in it. Also in the description, I'll post a, a link to this article that Nick wrote. It's, a, uh, it's called Bitcoin Net Zero. It was published in September of 2021. I think it's a good source. It really gets into kind of just the overall fundamentals of Bitcoin. It talks a little bit, it talks about kind of Bitcoin's carbon emissions so you can learn more about its environmental impact, but also kind of how those challenges can be reduced. And I think it's a, it's a good starting point if you want to learn more about the currency. So yeah, I'll, I'll post that into the chat. Um, I don't know, Nick, do you want to just have like kind of a, a wrap up discussion and we can uh, get on our merry ways? Uh, yeah, sure. Let's do that. <laughs> so I think to wrap, well, okay. First of all, let's wrap, let, let's wrap up the whole inflation, higher interest rates, um, what it all means part and connect that to Bitcoin. And here's my take on it. Um, what the, what the federal reserve does to try to combat inflation and has done it in the past is they raise interest rates. It's just, I could get into exactly why that is and the, and the, the logistics behind that. But the point is let's take a, let's take an analog scenario real quick. Paul Volcker. Okay. Super unpopular fed chairman back in the late seventies, early eighties nowadays seen as kind of the saint or whatever in the finance community. So what did he do? He did the unpopular thing because raising interest rates is, always hurts the consumer at the end of the day, at least in the short term. Um, but what happened was in the late 70s, inflation was rising pretty crazy. It, it peaked out at 14.8% in March 1980. 
And at that point, Paul Volcker raised the federal funds rate, um, which was averaging about 11.2% at that time, to a peak of 20% by 1981. And because of that, which was a very unpopular move at the time, by 1983, the inflation had gone from that peak of 14%, almost 15%, all the way back down to 3%, which was much more normalized. And I think the point about this is, think about where the federal funds rate is right now. I mean, what do we, I mean, I don't even know what it is. What is it, 1% or something like that? Fed funds rate currently. Um, 0.25, yeah, zero to 0.25%. And you're talking back when they raised rates to a point that could actually, you know, seriously affect inflation. It was going from 11% up to 20%. I mean, think about that for a second. Think about how much the Federal Reserve will have to raise interest rates to combat inflation at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can't just let inflation go out of control. Because society society will basically break and collapse. And they're not going to let that happen. Aside from stimulus, which is just printing money to help in the meantime, um, what you have to do to combat inflation is raise interest rates. And we aren't even, even if we raise a quarter of a percent every quarter this next year, what will we be at? 1%, 1.25%? This motherfucker raised it to 20% back when it was an issue. So my point is, I think the Fed is going to have to raise interest rates incrementally, not over just the next year, not just the following year. I really believe, and I could be wrong on this, it's going to be a 10-year ordeal of slowly, incrementally raising the interest rate. Because if you do it too quickly, there's a shock. And as a result, I really truly believe the next 10 years at least for me personally, I want to be in the stocks that are going to benefit from those higher interest rates. And I want to benefit from something that's an alternative asset that will also benefit, i.e. Bitcoin. Good point. So if you want to buy some Bitcoin right now, go out and do it. And yep. also probably buy, buy some Sark. <laughs> yeah, Vin, Vin, Venmo me a thousand dollars, and uh, we'll we'll see about getting you that Bitcoin. So, <laughs> and if you haven't bought a house yet, you probably buy a house right now because mortgage rates are already going up. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we we actually we should touch on that just briefly before we end the show. But that's right. Another thing to be aware of, and I understand it's expensive to buy a home, even if it's not in a year or two years. I would say. You know, don't wait too too long in the future to buy a home because when those interest rates go up, mortgage rates go up. And trust me, the difference between paying what people pay now, 2.8% on their home mortgage over 30 years versus 7% or what was not unheard of back in the day, 11%, it makes a huge difference in how much you end up paying an in interest on a home. So yeah, if, if if you have the means or in the next year or two, you can plan to have the means, you know, try to get into a position of buying a home. Right now, the market's so hot that people are getting outbid on homes every every time you turn around. But it's worth the fight, I think, to try to be someone who can 
who can get that final offer and get a home. Uh, like I said, even if it's not right now, in the next year or two, just maybe make a plan for getting that down payment. Yeah. And I think that's all great advice. And I'm not a financial expert on this, but I assume that as interest rates are hiked up, different investment vehicles other than stocks might just start go up as well, like CDs. Um, you know, obviously the, the rates are at historic lows right now. I think what you can get a CD at what probably like the best you can get is like a five-year CD that's at like 1% or 2% or something. Yeah. I'm guessing that, you know, as as rates go up, those might be more of a an appetizing investment vehicle. So if you're if you have a lot of cash. Oh, and that that also uh, makes me think. So also think about people that have, have been hoarding cash right now, especially companies that have been hoarding cash. One company, Berkshire Hathaway, our old man, Warren Buffett. Uh, our old friend yeah he's uh he's been he's he's you know taking note that you know we our our stock market you know it's at a kind of a market high valuations are are extremely high right now and and obviously as inflation goes up like i said those higher growth stocks are probably going to take a a, some some big hits i mean who knows what's going to happen i don't have i don't have a crystal ball but i do know that Berkshire Hathaway has a humongous cash position right now. And Berkshire Hathaway, they own a lot of stocks that are not a lot of stocks, but a lot of assets, um, you know, in commodities. And I think, you know, like they have, what is it? They have like, you know, housing. What do they have, Nick? There's like Berkshire real estate. And I yeah. think they're like a, a, a real estate broker. Yeah. So I don't know if, if housing is actually going to be, is going to go up. Um, I mean, it might. So who, who knows what's going to happen? But I do know they have a large cash, cash position. And I know Warren Buffett is a very smart man. That's why they call him the Oracle of Omaha. And I think he's eyeing some, he will eye some stocks as they, you know, take larger hits um, and will probably start pumping more money into what he deems are better investments. And as uh, his investments go up, you know, you can kind of use Berkshire Hathaway as a vehicle for those returns. So that might be a, a stock you look into. Um, so that's kind of all I had for uh, our podcast today. Nick, you have any, you have any last words? Uh, well, I guess in the words of Daddy Warren, Get off your ass and invest. <laughs> no, no, no. He never said that. He he doesn't. I'm fucking tired. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, let's wrap up. And um, thank you to all of our, uh, our 31 listeners. Yes. Um, thank you, listeners. We love you. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you on our next episode. Bye, folks. All right. Thank mm-hmm. you.